Hello and welcome to episode 310 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Botsko and today we talk about the 2-1 defeat away to Hoffenheim and whatever else we feel like ranting about and for all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing and Merry Christmas. It's a Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah and everything else that's going on around the world. Uh, also to you, Stefan. Uh, so on a personal level, it's fantastic. On a sports level, I kind of want short-term amnesia just to forget this weekend even happened. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, same, same. I mean, I think people who listened to the last episode knew that uh, I was already pretty much worked up about uh, this game that happened on, on Friday and I sort of saw it coming from a mile away because um, Dortmund just really were tired. I mean, it's not like Hoffenheim played great or anything. They were also pretty uh, abject and um, a team like Dortmund, uh, the, the one that we saw maybe play against Mainz or, or Leipzig or whatever, I would have easily steamrolled this Hoffenheim team without a doubt um, Hoffenheim were terrible and there is just no other reason for Dortmund's loss than maybe a little bit of stupidity but mostly it's uh, the tiredness because I feel like um, the the fatigue in the end really does affect your decision making in, in the box and in the in the final moments where you need precision the most and so um as I tweeted after the game, I squarely blame this defeat on the DFL. Obviously, it's a little bit easy <laughs> and, and simplistic, but uh, here I am. Um, yeah, it, it really annoyed me, this loss, um, because it was thoroughly avoidable. And uh, I think there are one or two decisions by Lucien Favre that I would like to criticize, but also just uh, the uh, shot selection and, and whatnot. Um, I think Favre himself, criticized after the game but you know in in the greatest scheme of things i still think it was quite unfair to dortmund to play on a friday and not because hoffenheim uh, had the same amount of days to prepare for that game that's not it's just the accumulation of games um you have as a as a champions league uh group group stage team and uh that is just the the uh, yeah accumulation of of fatigue really that you get and uh, so it's always an advantage to the team that has not to play in Europe by definition and especially if uh, that game is also on the road that means you have when you play on Tuesday you have the Wednesday to recuperate and Thursday is already the day you travel so it's it's just very very tough to re-energize for such a game and we saw it um Dortmund were still pretty dominant and uh, had a lot of possession and uh, but the 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 forcefulness the counter pressing and everything else um that you've seen in, in recent games just wasn't there anymore because this team was simply tired and not having Marco Royce there also is a big bummer because he um had with that counter pressing in a way that Mario Götze certainly couldn't. And I think we have to discuss the situation with Paco Alcázar because he uh, started on the bench once again. But Matthias, what were your thoughts overall from this, uh, you know, 90 minutes of football, which then ended in horror and shock? Well, uh, like I tweeted after the game, sometimes the better team loses. 
That's that's <laughs> unfortunate. It always frustrates me in sports. I don't think uh, you know bad play or bad team should be rewarded. Um, I I agree with you that uh, tiredness, fatigue. It was clearly evident just because that final decision was poor. Uh, not so much in defense. Obviously, losing Mats Hummels that played a role. I think defensively it did. Uh, there was a little bit less stability when he was gone, uh, which is was great to see in the sense of, oh, you know, the back three has really come together because that was something we questioned a few weeks ago. But of course, it was unfortunate, um, especially. I think more, yeah. more unfortunate that you lose one substitution like Guerrero, for example, for the front three or whatever, because I feel like that that's what would have been needed more for Favre to add more attacking power. Oh, I agree. You know, it's if Dortmund would have finished if just one or two of their really good attacking moves that they had in the match, um, the situation that led to uh, the 1-1 and the 1-2 never would have occurred just because the game would have played out totally differently. Um, Hakimi was great until he got to the final decision. Um, Sancho's movement was great, but his passing was woeful on the day. It was just, it was just that little bit of inaccuracy at the end that really cost. You could tell that there was a lack of automatism with Gutsa in there versus Royce in there. Also playing with Sancho and playing uh, with Brandt, even though Brandt, I think still played well. I think Vigas still played well. Um, but it was just a little bit disjointed then taking Hummels out and forcing forcing the hand. I do agree that uh, it was puzzling to me why Brunassen came in and not Paco Akasar. I mean, at that point, Dortmund still had the lead. Um, so maybe it was, hey, I, I just need a, a stronger body in there to hold up the ball a little bit more and, and that kind of thing. Even though, in my opinion, that's not really what the game was calling for at that point because Dortmund were very comfortable I mean the first half was a stroll it was boring I I mean the the commentators were on and on about oh such an engaging first half and I'm like really this was boring this was so it was a yawn fest I didn't have to have another cup of coffee uh <laughs> just to just to stay awake and Hoffenheim did not look like they were threatening Dortmund whatsoever no, they, they were waving the white, oh, yeah. white flag basically for 80 minutes this is what what's so annoying it's not like hoffenheim tried hard to overpower dortmund they were just like very, they looked content by being with being one nil down like as almost as if they knew if you pr bring on kadra back or kramaric i'm not sure even uh they are more physical striker uh, that things would turn so um yeah But it's it's still annoying, like how how easily Dortmund in the end were beaten by Hoffenheim because Hoffenheim, you know, they didn't really have much attacking flair whatsoever throughout the entire game, and then sort of uh, two crosses into the box were enough to completely undo Dortmund. I think the first one was uh, even more awkward because Piszczek sort of deflected it right in front of another player, and then uh, you know. Dortmund just couldn't save it. Bucky was a bit awkward about it. So yeah, it's it's just quite annoying to to lose the way Dortmund lost, and obviously even more annoying that it's at the hands of Hoffenheim, who uh, are, as I said before, a team that I don't particularly like. So uh, which I feel like always raises the stakes of Dortmund losing. I don't know why. Well, it just it just has that weird feeling. Uh, maybe I should have 
trusted your gut instinct more than mine. Um, but I mean, if seeing how the first half played out, I felt comfortable in my prediction. Uh, Dublin had plenty of chances to go to, to be up three nil. And, you know, honestly, a second Dublin goal in the game would have been done. It would have been over. Um, it would have just been like, all right, can we just get to 90 minutes and go home for Christmas? Kind of a deal. Uh, obviously that didn't happen. Um, the, you know, I mean, when, like you said, people say, well, Hoffenheim played on Tuesday as well, but they don't have the miles in the legs. I think this was the 25th competitive match that Dortmund has played in since August, since mid-August. So if you're looking at a span of four months, 25 games, that's that's a lot of games. Um, and, and yeah, you mustn't forget they just played against Leipzig in a week before that. They played against Slavia, so the midweek games that Dortmund played were for them like really high-profile games where you have to really uh, you know bring your A game or you will be utterly punished for it. So um, you know these weren't games like you know the the one game where they could just cruise at home was the four nothing against Mainz, but otherwise. It was Steinekloppen, as we say in German, where you had to work your butt off for every single win or not win. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, every opponent. I mean, even Düsseldorf didn't make life easy just because of how extremely compact and solid they were defensively until Dortmund figured out a way to break them down. And when Dortmund got the goal against Hoffenheim, I thought, okay, we're, we're there. Hoffenheim played very passive, very compact for for a while and then when Dortmund got the goal I was like all right you know we're it's gonna be all good uh but then the tiredness just came I think uh you can make aside from the substitution the specifically the Paco Alcacer uh Brunlassen substitution where you can I think clearly question Favre because lack of pressing or defensive work uh you know that's a constant with for instance Jaden sancho i mean there are plenty of times where he loses the ball and just walks around um part of that is that's his player type part of that is tired and part of it i don't know what um so i, I there there must be some other disconnect there uh maybe fitness maybe something else that we just obviously don't know um it, it seemed a little disjointed at times uh, with Brunlassen in, it it killed the team of any attacking flair in that moment. They still got forward. They still had opportunities, but it just wasn't the right personnel package, if you would put it in that term. It was the, the wrong line to send in if you were in hockey. Um, so that's, you know, it's not like Hoffenheim got a lot of uh, tactical things right. I don't even know if... Uh, Favre got a lot of tactical things wrong, per se. It was just kind of one of those really annoying, funky games where it just it just wasn't – it was just a bad day at the office for a variety of reasons. But I, I personally – I don't know how you feel about this. I wasn't – like we've had bad results or results that didn't go our way where I was pissed. I was pissed at the coaches. I was pissed at the players. I wasn't this time. I wasn't like, damn you, Favre and players. How could you do this to us? Not like, for instance, Parabon. Like the first half against Parabon, I lost my shit. This was definitely not that. This was frustrating. It was annoying for a, a variety of outside reasons um, and, and match commentary reasons. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the tiredness, you could just tell, you just see they were 
completely spent and having certain players out injured, you could tell that that affected things as far as the options that Favre really had. Yeah, I mean, having to take Hazard off is quite annoying too because he was one of the players that, that worked quite hard and had to work right. So um, that really shows what a downgrade it was to have number 12, 13 basically come on in uh, Jakob Brünlassen and uh, shows really that Michael Zorc has quite some work ahead of him because um, if you want to win the league or anything, uh, this quality of a player that Jakob Brünlassen cannot be your next option up if one of your wingers uh, can't make it. Um, that was quite embarrassing and ridiculous to to be honest because, I, I mean, it's it's hard on Jakob Brünlassen because he doesn't have a lot of playing time right now but honestly that was just such a nothing burger of a performance after uh you know it's it's not like he's fatigued or anything but it's just it was just bad and it's not like Jakob Brunlarsen has you know a long history of of uh really greatness um he he had a a good run at the beginning of the last season but other than that um it's just an you know a barrage of bad decision making poor touches and uh yeah so i'm i'm not really impressed by that and i I think his time at dortmund is probably over unless dortmund uh, downgrade overall and and lower to his level but if dortmund wants to have more ambition you need another winger that uh, can dribble much much better i think that's uh what what dortmund need to look at and uh, you just need to raise the quality a little bit and I know um, the the transition that Michel Zorc was trying to to achieve um, isn't all that easy. But um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Jakob Brunelsen, but uh, that's just not good enough at this level. And uh, that was just a terrible 45 minutes where I didn't see any situation where I was even mildly impressed. So yeah, I, I hate to say this, but uh, here we are. Yeah, I've, I concur. Uh, he has Falf got written all over him at this <laughs> point. Uh, I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek. I was just thinking of Julian Shiba in that moment, but, um, or, or any one of those types of teams. He's, he's a good player. He's just not Dortmund good. He's not Champions League good. Uh, he's still really young, so he could still turn into that, but he needs more playing time to do that. And he's just not good enough to get that playing time at Dortmund. And I don't think Dortmund are willing to send him out on like a two season loan spell somewhere mm-hmm. in the hopes of him developing because they've already kind of done that. And like you said, we saw a good couple months last year at the beginning. And since then, not so much. I think that's where the disconnect is in terms of uh, why didn't Guerrero then come in? Or more importantly, honestly, Paco Alcacer would have been the right choice to bring in. You could, uh, with with your attacking three, kind of move things around. Um, but uh, as far as the winter transfers go, I think uh, it's safe to say that a, a more uh, out-and-out robust whatever you want to call it striker will come who it is at this point i don't know i'm i'm hopeful it's erling holland uh is it necessarily going to be him i don't know uh if he hadn't gone to leipzig i would have been okay with schick but you know obviously 
we decided against that in the summer. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, Emre Chan, I'm saying, you know, a lot, but Emre Chan apparently is not going to be coming to Dortmund, uh, which is more that midfield motor where right now we're a little thin. Uh, but once the winter, tra- winter break is done, Witzel will be back. And, uh, so I'm not, that's not an area of concern. Uh, it's it's really the striker that's a concern. I don't have any concern really at the wing back positions and central defense and central midfield. I'm not overly concerned right now, but we're one Julian Brandt injury away from being concerned. Unless you <laughs> yeah, very concerned. Well, unless you uh, go for a punt and say, okay, Tobias Raschel, let's see what you can do. Um, but the season is so tight. It it would be hard to justify that type of gamble, to be honest. So uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, month until the new season starts or four weeks. It's not, not exactly a month, but it's roughly four weeks uh, to see what can and will happen. Because I think any transfers that do happen, um, they're going to do their best to make sure that they are done and ready to train with the team and ready to roll once uh, the Rückrunde starts again. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would have appreciated to see what Gio Reyna can do, but obviously I am not Michel Skibbo or anyone else in that uh, department, so I'm not sure if he's already on that level yet, but uh, I have more hopes for him as of now than in Jakob Brunlarsen, but uh, it's always hard to predict how these things pan out. However, um, you know... It it would would have just been nice to to see a new guy in there, but I still think um, you need to bring on Rafael Guerrero at some point in in this game, and uh, e- even even if it just helps with the set pieces, because uh, after Torgen Hazard went went off, uh, the set pieces were so so. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's just an annoying game, and I don't want to talk about it too much because uh, it it would just annoy me to to an end and, and it's just it just sucks that you go into the winter break with with this result and especially what's annoying overall is um the fact that Dortmund spent a hundred million in the last transfer window and have four points less than they had in the Rückrunde. Right now they have thirty points after seventeen games in the last season's Rückrunde they had 34 and in last season's Hinrunde they had 42 so um, that is a downward trend that you do not want to have and um, really shows that uh, you know people I think should be allowed to be disappointed with Dortmund's season so far I think 30 points is far below what everyone had hoped for and far below what Dortmund's ambitions really are and uh you know, just giving away basically five points in the last week certainly adds to that pain. But even if had Dortmund had these five more points, I still think people would have had a right to be disappointed because um, if you have 34 points in one half series and then spend 100 million, I think everyone expects an improvement. And we did not see that just from the points. And... Uh, I have to say, Lucien Favre took, uh, you know, he he fumbled it for far too long in in, in this season so far. Um, He was at first a bit too conservative about his approach, plus the set-piece malaise, 
and and until he you know discovered the formula uh, you know just when he was almost out the door um that was a little too late so um yeah it's it's annoying if if you look back at this hinrunde for now because um the league is definitely there for the taking um there's no team really running away with it i mean the highest score right now Leipzig with 37 points but as i just mentioned Uh, in the last Hinrunde, Dortmund had 42 points, so that still would have been a five-point margin had Dortmund just replicated what they did in the previous season. And obviously, that was quite special. But um, you know, when you uh, invest that heavily, I think you can expect special. And uh, Dortmund, I think, very much underdelivered. And uh, I think that is. Uh, okay for a lot of fans to be very frustrated and air their grievances and be disappointed um i'm right now not on the favre out train <laughs> but uh you know i'm i'm very ready to jump back on again if the uh, second half of the season starts poorly again so uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes but uh, matthias i think 30 points after 17 games for this Dortmund team are quite mind-bogglingly bad I mean, I'm not not as harsh as you in that take because, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, they spent a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, a lot of teams would have spent $100 million for one player. Dalton bought in, brought in quite a few players for that. And you just have to recognize that uh, there's a long betting in period because it's a new coach, it's a new city, it's a new new team. I mean, even for Hummels who came back, It was a new team. It was new uh, defensive partners. I think when he left, he had Socrates next to him. Uh, so now he had younger, more playmaking type defenders uh, to to play with. Um, so it's it's a different environment, obviously a different coach. So yeah, I mean, it was frustrating that it took so long to kind of find the right formula, but that's the way it sometimes goes when you bring in a lot of new players. If I think of the marquee signings, if we just look at the four bigger name signings in in Schulz, Hummels, Brandt, and Hazard, um, I think uh, Hummels has performed about as expected. Yeah, he made some mistakes, but he's always had a couple of mistakes in him because he's a more risky player but i you know I, I, overall he's he's been pretty good more good than well, bad let's, let's put it let's put it this way at the beginning of the season he was the only consistent performer overall it felt marco royce uh was in, in terrible form Jaden sancho had good numbers but that was about it and everyone else in there in the defensive backline sort of had a bit of a crisis and there were a lot of injuries so it was always rotating and i feel like the the only consistent man at least at the start of the season was Mats Hummels and in the end uh, his form dipped a little i think also due to fatigue i think that you yeah, know i mean obviously. he sees his age and his years i mean there there are very few german players i think that have played as many games over the last 10 years as Mats Hummels when you throw in a uh, domestic international and national team all of that combined you know there he may be what is he 31 now um but 31 now isn't like 31 10 years ago athletically the there's so so much more mileage on those tires 
um, because also he started so young and so on and so forth. So I think that's part of it. Uh, Azard, it took a while, it took a long time for him to get going. <laughs> uh, but once he got going, he's been, fa- he's been phenomenal. Julian Brandt took a long time. Um, but he's now phenomenal and it just took a while t- to find them. Nico Schultz is the one. That for me is an interesting one because ever since Favre switched to the 3-4-3 and he's been playing wing back, he's played like Nico Schulz at Hoffenheim. You know, he's, you can just see how much more comfortable he is. And he actually played decently, um, in the last match as well. And it's so much better. It's so, it suits him. And so for me, I'm going to reserve my final judgment on Nico Schulz until we've seen the full season play out because I think the 343 is now here to stay as it should. And so then we can really see him in his natural environment versus kind of a, a fish out of water of what he was asked to do previously that just didn't suit him. That was more Nico Schulz at Gladbach, whereas Nagelsmann transformed him at Hoffenheim into a uh, very good or at least a good Bundesliga wingback. Um, and so the jury's still out there. There's no out and out flop transfer wise. Uh, I think the flop for us all is, Hey, you didn't bring in another striker. That's kind of the, the flop of the transfer <laughs> policy, not the people that, you know, there's no, there's no Andre Schule in there or anything like that where you go, Oh no, that was a lot of money flushed down the toilet. <laughs> um, none of them, none of them fit that bill. I think they will all come good cohesively and they really have over the last few weeks you can even say so um so the winter break it's here everybody can chill a little bit hopefully bring in some depth and hopefully move out some some dead wood and kind of ease a little bit of the financial pressure on the wage bill and and that frees some opportunities up um so i mean i don't necessarily have anything more to say about on the pitch with hoffenheim do you well, uh, no. I mean, in 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 that discussion, if if I want to talk about flops, um, the the only the only thing, well, not the only thing, but one of the things that really irks me the most in hindsight, and I feel like Favre probably feels the same, is uh, why it took so long to consistently play Danaxel Zagadou. I think that's alongside with Julian Brandt on the eight has been one of the biggest game changes for Dortmund and it was all along right in front of our eyes and a possibility you could have unrolled at any given moment and it took for freaking ever and yeah, I mean uh, we sorry go ahead no I, I just I just think uh, you could have tried that out a little bit sooner that's that's all all I'm trying to say because uh, things weren't already working for, for quite a time and we could see Lucien Favre trying out a lot and throwing a lot of things against the wall to see what sticks. And I think he should have uh, thrown Zagadou against the uh, proverbial wall a little bit sooner. That's, I, that's all I'm I don't saying. know if you, Lucien Favre could pick up Zagadou uh, to throw him against the wall. <laughs> it would have been funny to watch. No, I, I can... It's frustrating for us as fans, but um, I completely understand why. I mean, I was very critical because the total implosion against Bayern last spring seared into my memory and God knows it was seared into uh, Favre's memory. And here's the thing we all can't forget the decisions that he makes directly affect his livelihood. This is his job. So if he has doubt, serious doubt that a player can perform 
consistently and make the right decision consistently, then I understand why he would hesitate to do that. This isn't the game of football manager or FIFA where you plug it in. If it doesn't work, <laughs> you lose a game, you move on. Um, this is, this is his livelihood. This is his job. And we all make decisions differently when our livelihood is on the line. So, uh, you know, let's, let's not lose, lose perspective of that. And I think what happened was, Happenstance and circumstance kind of forced Favre's hand into rolling out the three four three, and the you know rolling it out against Hatta uh, with everything that was going on, and then it just it clicked. It honestly, it just everything seemed to fall into place rather nicely, um, and uh, that's the way it sometimes happens. You know, sometimes Drew Bledsoe gets hurt running out of the sidelines. And after two games and Tom Brady steps in and the rest is history. You know, sometimes it just happens. Uh, and I think that's, that's where I kind of attribute the Zagadou thing to is just his own. He's conservative nature. Lucien Favre is just his personality is a little more reserved. And, uh, when he relied on Zagadou a few times in the past, it bombed on him. It completely bombed. And so he was, hesitant for two reasons to try it. One, his job, and two, the player. Because he's a young player and you have to be very careful because too many of those extreme implosions with a young player, they condition, they get conditioned to maybe even think that that's who they are. And you could completely destroy a career doing that. Um, so I'm just happy things worked out as they are. I'm also happy of the fact that, yes, it's uh, seven points difference to the top at this stage in the season, but we still have 17 games left and we know Favre knows the structure of the team, the tactical formation, everything that they want to move forward with, which they were still figuring out in the Hinrunde. So I think that puts a significantly better base on everything than four months ago uh, at this point. Well, I'm, I'm just going to announce it now. 2020 will be the Yellow Wallpot Revenge Tour where we will take revenge on all the fucking teams that uh, dare to beat us or score late equalizer. Uh, I I still, I have not, as of today, given up hope on this Dortmund team. I still think they can challenge for the title um, because, as we said, they, they figured things out along the way. I mean, it was a process. It, it took them long, and I feel like a lot of time and points were wasted, but and, and the odds aren't in Dortmund's favor right now, but uh, that all being said, I still think that uh, in the Rückrunde Dortmund have a chance to, to compete. I'm uh, not sold on uh, Bayern being uh, playing playing the same Rückrunde they played uh, last season where they uh, got 42 points even under Hansi Flick. And even though things quite, you know, improved for them as well, quite dramatically so, but uh, Bayern are not the team that... Uh, Will squirrel up the points uh, as they once did under Kovac. I'm I'm just not sure about that. And uh, RB Leipzig might have uh, their their own little crisis or just uh, a couple of unfortunate uh, points dropped here and there. And uh, seven points can be overturned quite quickly if you go on a winning streak. So it's just essential for Dortmund to really put their foot down at the start of the Rückrunde and uh, yeah, basically come out hot with I don't know three four wins in a row and then we'll see where we are if that doesn't happen then uh, I'll be on a f 
riding the Favre hour train again uh, until uh, it's left the station or has arrived or whatever. I don't even know where I'm going with this metaphor. But um, in the meantime, Matthias, uh, you had a couple of things to say uh, about Hoffenheim and Leipzig and all that bullshit. Yeah, uh, uh, and it kind of... Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of put, put context on everything. I, I've i been obviously one of the many people that have been vocal about the Nainzu Abbey, you know, that my severe distaste for the Red Bull system, uh, not just in Germany, uh, Austria as well. I have many Austrian fr uh, friends and, uh, you know, they, they cry about it all the time. And uh, Hoffenheim along the same lines, even though it's a little bit different. Um, and I get asked a few times on Twitter, uh, please explain why you don't like Leipzig. Because uh, on the face of it, isn't it good that another team challenges in Germany? And I'm just not in the mood to explain it on Twitter uh, through a string of 37 messages. Just Twitter isn't good for actual discussion. It's for ranting, hot takes, and bullshit. Um <laughs> And and during the English commentary that we got here on Fox in the U.S., I can't remember exactly who the play-by-play -play guy was. Um, color commentary was Lutz Fundstiel, which don't even get me started on that, um, given his background and history with Hoffenheim. But they started talking about the wonderful fairy tale that is Hoffenheim. Snow White is a fucking fairy tale. Hoffenheim is not a fairy tale. Let's let's put that really clear. All right, let's put so, a little asterisk yeah. on that word because yeah. Germans have a very weird yeah. relationship to the word fairy tale. Yeah, I mean it's it's but granted, this wasn't a German who called it a fairy tale. This was this was a native English speaker <laughs> talking about the fairy tale, had the wonderfulness of Hoffenheim from going up from regional obscurity uh, as a small town village. They're actually a village. They do not have Stadtrechte. So they are not actually a, a ta incorporated city town uh, in German law. They are considered a village. Um, I think they're actually a part of Zinsheim. They're not even its own. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> and coming up from regional obscurity and oh, they've been in the Bundesliga now for 10 years and how, or since 2008, how amazing that is. And, oh, stop it. You know, I'm, I, I come from a smaller town in Germany and yeah, it's, it's great to have pride in your local community. Dietmar Hopp has a lot of pride in his local community. He is from Hoffenheim. He's one of the wealthiest, most successful business people in Germany. Um, he also loves the sport. So I'll give that to him. He used to play for Hoffenheim when they played in the Bezirksliga or whatever. Cool. That's great. But him pumping millions, hundreds of millions. I don't know if he's pumped a billion euros into it yet uh, to artificially inflate this team. That's not a fairy tale. That's an open bank account and an unending checkbook. That is not the same. If you want to talk about fairy tales in German football, look at Freiburg and Christian Streich, what they have built. You can even look at the likes of Mainz or Augsburg, or if you drop in the Zweite Bundesliga, look at Holstein Kiel, Sandhausen, Heidenheim. Those are fairy tales if you want to talk about that kind of stuff. But it's not fairy tales because a fairy godmother showed up like in Hoffenheim. It's because they're busted their ass and they had the right 
vision and the right coaches to get them there. I mean, look how long uh, Schmidt has been at Heidenheim or Streich has now been at um, Freiburg. I, I think uh, Freiburg in the last 25 years has had four managers. Uh, Finke, Zorc, um, Dutt and Streich. I may be missing someone, but I don't think I am. So that's, those are fairy tales. And I was already getting pissed about it. Anybody that follows me on Twitter already saw that. And then today on Twitter, I saw a high profile German journalist promote his latest article from The Athletic, which I do not subscribe to, and talking about uh, basically how great Leipzig are and it could be worse in German football. Of course, it can always be worse. I mean, the plague could come back tomorrow. That would be worse. Um, but it, it just, it grates me that the amount of ass kissing that is happening now and, um, whitewashing of what Ab Red Bull system actually does to football culture, to regional identity clubs and fan culture is just so ignored. You know, I said it's Schönreden in German, which is like putting lipstick on a pig. And I don't want to insult pigs because they're actually kind of cute. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing cute about Red Bull. The one thing you can say about Hop or Kint or uh, Kuhn or anybody like that, they actually care about the club. They actually care about the sport. Red Bull doesn't give a shit. That's not what this is about. Okay. They have no identity with the club. They have no identity with the region. This was an easy meal ticket because they already had a big stadium ready waiting for them and German football was like here you go and um and I'm not even talking about what they do with 50 plus one and the destruction of fan culture and people are just so blindly willing to follow that but the the two things people always talk about about how great the Abbey is is one they play attractive football I will give them that they play nice football. That's where it's off. The other thing they want to talk about is how great the recruitment is. Oh, it's so amazing. They The scouting is just amazing. Shut up with that <laughs> garbage. They are an absolute figurative plague on the footballing landscape wherever they plop down. They are the Walmarts of football systems. They go in, in Austria, they have destroyed the Austrian footballing landscape in the sense of the major talents, you're rarely going to see one come out of a club that's not Red Bull Salzburg, who then funnel it, oddly enough, nine times out of ten, to Leipzig. So there's that destruction. And then Leipzig itself, people are like, oh, it's great for an East German club to do something. Yeah, I'm sorry, Red Bull uh, Leipzig did not exist in East Germany. It, what they have done, they have done the ultimate rich man carpetbagging in East Germany. They've come into a region that has a huge football tradition. Leipzig and Dresden are two of the true birthplaces of German football, if you go back over a 100 years. And they've gone in and they've put down a big fat turd in it. And what they've essentially done is they suck all the talent out of that whole region. Michael Ballack came through at Chemnitz. You're not going to see a Michael Ballack come through at a Chemnitz. You're going to see him come through at Salzburg. And when people say, oh, they don't spend huge transfer sums, well, A, they kind of have the system rigged a little bit at Leipzig. So, you know, okay. 
let's 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 just move move away from that one they do spend horrendous sums of money but not at the messy ronaldo level no at the kid level the amount of money that they offer kids to play in the Salz, uh, Salzburg, I already say it. Well, yeah, Salzburg as well. But in the Red Bull system, no other club can compete with that at the region. And even clubs like Bayern and Dortmund don't do that. They don't pay that kind of level. That's why you see talented players come through clubs like VfL Bochum or 1860, who are right in the backyard of Dortmund and Bayern because they have a completely different system on how the way they go about it. And Stefan, you had mentioned it while we were chatting before that over the long term, Leipzig will be a dominant powerhouse financially in Germany because of the system that they have. Look at it in Brazil. What's going to happen there? They bought a team. It's I don't even know what it's called now anymore. I think they got promoted to the top tier and they're going to completely destroy Brazilian football as we know it because a lot of the traditional clubs are broke or corrupt or have financial issues. And this is the best way for poor young kids who I am not blaming for this to find a way out of the situation in a stable financial environment to go to Europe. But what it does, it completely destroys football culture and fan culture in a given environment. And I am so sick and tired of these mainstream media sycophants that are now sucking up to these clubs, calling Hoffenheim a fairy tale, and then the the recent barrage of how great RB Leipzig is, or when people say, well, at least it's not Bayern. I'm sorry, I'd rather have Bayern win the Bundesliga for all eternity from here on out than to see RB Leipzig win one fucking title in Germany, because it shows just how how much, how decrepit the football system is becoming and that we are losing something that in German we call a Kulturgut. It is part of our culture. It's part of our national psyche is the sport and destroying it and destroying the regional local identity and fan culture in German football specifically is, in my opinion, absolutely abhorrent because it means more than just winning titles and bling and Instagram stories and all that other shit. It means so much more than that, especially in Germany. So anyway, whew, I feel a lot better. So hopefully now nobody will ask me on Twitter again, so why don't you like Leipzig? And I like Leipzig. The city actually is kind of nice, but the club. Ugh. So why don't you like Leipzig? <laughs> So, Stefan, it's funny you should ask. No. Um, and again, none of this has to do with the region or anything. Like, I've been accused of, oh, you don't like East Germans. You don't like Leipzig. Or if I'm critical of PSG or Manchester City's club ownership, they're like, oh, you don't like people from, you know, you don't like people from the Gulf region or anything. That is total bullshit. That has nothing to do with that. That has to do with that I could actually see beyond the money and, ooh, the great playing it's, it's style. It's just that Matthias doesn't like kleptocracy. That's what it is. I don't even know what that is right now off the top of my head. Teach me a new... Teach me. Kleptocracy is, is basically uh, rich people stealing oh, money. Oh, yeah. When rich yeah, yeah, yeah. Themselves, yeah that's right. Just like I don't like racism. But hey, yeah. you know, uh, people will still find a way to defend racists. Anywho... Um, uh, this is a very jolly Christmas episode, obviously. <laughs> well, I'm still <laughs> laughing. I mean, it's not like that. I mean, well, yeah, I'm yeah. going to have a great Christmas regardless. Yeah, that's that's good for you. Uh, 
Anyway, I don't I don't know. Do you want to still talk about the uh, couple of transfers that don't may sure. or may not? Sure. Make? Let's let's not end on a <laughs> on on a topic of, you know, those clubs. Let's end on uh, other money. Dortmund are trying to get rid of uh, Jakob Brünnlassen and Weigel and uh, Mairo Götze probably and uh, Paco Alcázar. They can't sell yet, so um, yeah, I I think I think that all makes sort of sense. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean Julian Weigel right now is a bit of a difficult case because he's sort of the uh, one replacement that Dortmund have for Axel Witzel. In, in the system that Dortmund play right now. Um, so it's it's a bit tricky, um, but I think in general it will probably suit Dortmund well to eventually sell him because I still think his his lack of pace is uh, yeah not, not, not helpful and not uh, conducive to Dortmund's ambitions. So I, I, I still think that uh, the Weigel era in Dortmund is, is coming to a close, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to be right now or in the summer. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, like you said, you could have, anybody could have seen a lot of those names. Um, I would not recommend a Weigel transfer for the same reason you mentioned at this point in time. Uh, summer would make more sense. And like you said, his lack of pace is a massive issue. Um, so that, that also gives a player like Tobias Raschel a little bit more time and kind of figure out who he is, who he is and what his future may be at Dortmund. Um, so he's not one that I would like to see go. Brunlassen, we already talked about. Dahoud, God knows I've talked about. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'd, I'd be okay. Yeah, that leaves us with Mario Götze. And Götze is a weird one for me. Simply because I can see Dortmund not wanting him to leave on a free because he's an asset that you could probably make 20, 30, 40 million off of. Um, but at the same time, I don't understand, obviously, why he's not playing more. Maybe right now the issue is the fact that there's just such a great chemistry with Royce. Azard, Sancho, and Brandt. But that also then begs the question of what about Paco? What about if you bring in another striker? What what does that do to everything? Uh, do we just go back to a 4-2-3-1 and see what happens? Um, so it's I, I can understand Gutz's frustration. I can understand why he's not getting past the ones that are ahead of him in the pecking order. So as much as I would hate to see him go because he's so good, I I could kind of see it from both parties as to why maybe not. But at the same time, Dortmund, I think, was very important for him to be able to get his fitness back. And obviously, he has health issues um, that may be ongoing or not. But when he is on the pitch, he tends to always play well. It was a little disjointed against Hoffenheim, but uh, I wouldn't put that all on Götze for sure. Yeah, I mean, the the, the real problem is that you have a massive asset with Mario Götze. He can perform on a world-class level for you, but in order for that to happen, he needs a certain setting. Like that's the that's the one problem with Götze. I I would say um, that he uh, yeah can't just plug in in any system, but he he needs to have a certain position. And I mean, I was a long-time advocate for him to play the role that uh, Julian Brandt is doing now. Um, and uh, Lucien Favre just never cared to utilize him that way. And uh, also, Götze is to to me he should either play as a number 
uh, number eight or number ten, and both those positions have not happened for him, and he has played sort of as a nine, false nine type of player. And uh, while this was pretty good for long stretches of last season, I still don't believe that this is his ideal and best position, and there are many reasons for why this shouldn't be the uh, long-term solution. So um, it's kind of painful, but I think... Um, It hasn't happened now, and that probably means it won't happen going forward. I uh, I don't know what Mario Götze's plans are, to be honest, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he leaves, especially um, if if Dortmund say, okay, um, Mario, we need to free up something here on our wage bill for the striker, and uh, I think maybe this is then that Mario Götze will probably leave, not as you said, on like 20 or 30 million. I think it's going to be more like between... Honestly, I I think it's going to be between 5 and 15 million. Um, I don't think there's a club out there that will really spend a lot of money for him. Uh, so, yeah, that's right now my prediction. It's it's a little bit up in the air. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a sad part that Dortmund could never... Um, Yeah, solve that issue, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to be really weird seeing him play with Granitxaka and Hertha. Um, <laughs> it's a little little jolting to the eye, but that is the most yeah, not, persistent not, not, rumor. Not, not believing that one. <laughs> you don't think so? I mean, they, no. they, they have a sugar daddy now, so... Yeah, um, I know, but I, th I think that's just, that's just trying... That's just PR. That's not actual real... Uh, Hatta talk. I just think they are just trying to big themselves up and to link them with uh, with prestigious names in order to I don't know get whatever ball rolling they they want. But I don't actually think that Mario Götze will will say, oh well, look at Hatta and the great project they are having. That's where I want to go. I think uh, Mario Götze should look for a team that still plays consistently in the Champions League. And uh, just because it hasn't worked out at Dortmund doesn't mean he, he can't work out at a different top level team. So, um, especially because I think he always wanted to play abroad and um, so I don't think he will switch to another Bundesliga team. I think if he leaves, it's probably going to be toward Italy or somewhere. I was uh, going to say Italy. I, don't know, it's, it's I think as his wife. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think Italy is probably the best bet also given the pace of the game in Italy and given given his fitness issues that he just has. That's just a fact. He He has what he has. And I think Italy, a place like Roma or Napoli or something like that, I think could could benefit him. Uh, I don't really. It's, it's also a football culture that yeah. would probably appreciate his talents more because of uh, what what he can do. And uh, you know, um, we we talked a lot about the German football culture. If um, you know, we often talk about the Italian football culture in terms of how racist they are. And I mean, racism is sadly embedded in every football culture because it's a reflection of society and there is always racism in all societies. Hence, uh, there are very sad realities and it Italy especially have a problem. But um, what we rarely mention, but people from Italy will know that, um, is that um, the discussion and the... Uh, The, the doctors or whatever uh, the, the 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 way people talk about football in Italy is just on a higher level overall so they just you know discuss tactics on a much more sophisticated level than uh, people do in Germany 
it's also the punditry is a little bit different there. So overall, in, in terms of that football culture, I really do think that uh, Mario Götze will be appreciated more just because people in Italy, I would say, are a bit more... I don't know, have a, have a higher grasp of, of, of football than they do in Germany. That's that's just my own opinion. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm just wishing him well, whatever happens next in his career. Oh, and, I, and I echo that. I'm a fan of Italian football. And uh, historically speaking, you know, what Germany has kind of gone through in the last 10 years has been prevalent in Italy for about 50 years. So um, I think he's the type of playmaker that's still very much appreciated and enjoyed there. I would not recommend England uh, because as someone a more... Mer- oh, he's getting killed in the Premier League. Oh, well, he's, he's going to get killed also off the pitch. I mean, look at what's happening to Uzi. I think Uzi should have moved to Italy when he was linked with Inter a few seasons ago. And uh, I would recommend the same to Götze uh, because I just don't think he will, at this point in his career, uh, be appreciated there. I wouldn't... I don't really know anywhere in France that would fit, also financially. And then in Spain, I don't see him fitting with any of the top clubs. And once you get past the top four or five, the drop-off is pretty dramatic. Um, so I, I agree with you that Italy is the most realistic place and a place that if he leaves Dortmund, I actually wouldn't mind seeing him every week. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be M- Milan. I mean, his uh, wife. Okay, never mind. Uh, then I will not be happy. So, yeah. Anywho, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. We can only speculate, and I would say um, the uh, next episodes uh, will also be there for speculation, un- unless Arling Haaland will be uh, signed for Dortmund in the next couple of minutes, and we can discuss it uh, quote unquote live. Um, yeah, I don't know whether he will end up in Dortmund or Manchester United or whatever, but uh, you know, these seem to be the, the latest rumors. I still think it's likelier for him to join Dortmund, but uh, with the uh, Mino Raiola, you never know. And uh, I, for one, would have said had Dortmund already wrapped up that deal, it would have already been announced at this point because Dortmund get that stuff done quite quickly, especially if there were already meetings. Um, this would have been done and dusted by now if it weren't still up in the air. So, um, I mean, Dortmund just need him quickly because the uh, the uh, uh, training camp starts on January 3rd. So you want to have him there and then start working. Anyway, so um, yeah, that's that's all I have for now. I mean, we're almost in an hour. I don't see any point of talking more. I'm basically just trying to forget the Hoffenheim game, and so I'm I'm glad we've already discussed that, and can just move on to to Christmas and happy times and you know all that feel good stuff that we do like watch Die Hard. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so Matthias, uh, thank you again for coming on and thank you for that uh, Leipzig rent. But, you know, you got to end the season or the, the year, the decade, <laughs> on a on a rant. I, I think that's only befitting. Yes, after 30 points, it certainly is. Anyway, so Matthias, thank you for coming on and uh, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Not o- only uh, this show, but... Uh, I guess ha- almost the entire decade. When does this start again? Uh, 2012. So not not quite a decade, but uh, it's been seven and a half wonderful years. Exactly. So uh, yeah, for everyone who has stuck by us for that many years, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, 
Now Matthias will sing Christmas carols for the next two hours. <laughs> no, that that no. See, that was the Christmas episode with Matthew Gerard that is forever lost to the world. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's just sad because uh, he unplugged his his microphone and then plugged it in again, and uh, while we could still hear him the entire time, uh, his uh, audacity or whatever he was recording with. Uh, stopped recording so yeah so all the christmas carols were lost there so that's too bad but uh you know the the older listeners will still remember the legend that is matthew jared and we will have him back at some point i am sure Alrighty. so yeah matthias how can uh, people find you on twitter if they want to ask you about why you're not liking leipzig <laughs> uh you can find me as per usual at matthiasuk and you can find me at Stefan Butzko. And if you want to get in touch with all of us, please do that via Facebook or Twitter at yellowwallpod. If you want to inquire about any other subjects, shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com. And if you want to find our written content, go to theyellowwall.net, where you will also find all the means to subscribe to this podcast, which is iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and so on and so forth. So um, I don't have any thing left to say other than everyone out there merry christmas happy hanukkah and uh, happy holidays until next year goodbye